36 past one. Chad Hartman back here. WCC Radio. DJ Tice. John Rash from the Star Tribune in the house. Plain politics. DJ, I'm going to start with you tomorrow night. The president, downtown Minneapolis, Target Center. $530,000 on the line. At this point, are you... Penny. Are you interested in stepping in and paying the $530,000? You could resolve the whole thing. Well, I don't know that I can handle it, but um, I'll tell you, the greatest show on earth is coming to town. Uh, This guy is the P.T. Barnum of uh, politics. Uh, John and I were talking about this on the way over. I've been covering politics for many decades, and I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. Uh, A guy's capacity to completely dominate uh, the news uh, atmosphere, day after day, month after month, year after year. Uh, yeah, it's it's really astonishing. And of course, he's got you know Minneapolis talking and thinking about uh, about nothing else. Uh, it ought to be it ought to be quite a show, and uh, it has been quite a moment for our mayor. Yeah, uh, Jacob Fry, who has been dueling with the president on Twitter uh, in front of the president's eighty million or so followers, whatever that is, and yeah. uh, and Fry's fame uh, nationally has you know probably increased about five hundred percent. I believe he's gained something on the order of twenty five thousand Twitter followers mm-hmm. in about forty eight hours, uh, and you know I'm sure his uh, differences with the president are are entirely sincere, but I think somewhere along the way. In this uh, in this duel, he realized that you know for the Jacob Fry political brand, this yes. is uh, not a bad moment. So let's pick up on that, John, because uh, Politico has an excellent story today talking about at least ten cities right now are owed eight hundred and forty thousand dollars from the Trump campaign, traveling, leaving, and saying good luck to you. Okay, so. I think philosophically, most would agree, hey, somebody's got to pay this. And if this is clearly a campaign rally, which it is, this is not just a presidential visit. Those are very different. That that money should be paid by the campaign. At the same time, Jacob Fry quickly, when this rally was announced, rose from just mayor, I'm going to rise above, to I'm very different. I'm disgusted by the president. He doesn't provide diversity. That he put on his political hat instantly. Has that hurt his credibility in trying to stay true to this is just all about paying bills? Maybe not among Minneapolitans, and perhaps it even strengthened his base among city voters. Regarding the state and people throughout the country, it exacerbates what ails us so significantly here in Minnesota and throughout the nation in terms of the urban-rural divide and in terms of how deeply divided as a society that we have become at this point in this political polarity is paralyzing the nation in many ways. And he's now either wittingly or unwittingly become part of it. Now, of course, the president has a part to play in that as well. And just as my colleague DJ just noted, there's really no precedent for a president to so dominate the news narrative. There's also really no precedent for a president to come into a community with at least the expectation that he is going to denigrate the very place that he is visiting. And, you know, he already is in this Twitter feud with Mayor Fry. He has had really sharp rebukes of Representative Omar from political rallies past, as well as tweets and other speeches. And he's right here in their city and in in the district at, at this point. And so 
when we've had other presidents who come into an urban area that maybe didn't support them overwhelmingly. And the immediate thought here is George W. Bush, who came forward with compassionate conservatism mm-hmm. or some kind of plan of, hey, we know you're going through tough times. Here's the way, here's the Republican approach as an example to this and what we want to do. There doesn't seem to be any prospect that President Trump is going to do that. He's probably just going to insult these two, rile up their crowd who won't be made up of a majority of people from the city that he's in at that point and just exacerbate this polarity. DJ, what role will uh, Bob Kroll play tomorrow evening? As big a one as he can uh, arrange for himself. He, too, has uh, you know uh, hitched himself to the rocket and mm-hmm. uh, and taken a ride here. And with, you know, frankly, some uh, unintentional assistance uh, from the, the mayor mm-hmm. and, and the chief uh, who gave him an issue to ride with uh, the ban on on uh, police wearing uniforms in any kind of political setting. When Donald Trump saw that, he had to think, thank you, Jacob. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I appreciate and the t-shirts. that. The T-shirts. It's absolutely perfect for President yeah. Trump. Uh, well, it is. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's obviously good for Kroll, for his, his yeah. brand, too. Yeah. Uh, in Good in that way that's not necessarily good for the community as a yeah. whole or the uh, – uh, or our political divisions. I want. I do want to address the the money question a little bit. You yep. know, the difficulty here is we have we've had plenty of visits, plenty of rallies, mm-hmm. uh, and it has evidently we've pinned down pretty well that the city has never delivered a bill like this, uh, much less a bill of this size. They've simply it seems never like a asked, staggeringly high number. Yes, doesn't it? it does. And and beyond that, the city apparently has simply never asked a, a political rally uh, of this kind to pay for extra uh, security costs. Now, maybe they should. It might be a perfectly sensible policy going forward uh, that we're not going to cover these for anybody. It's interesting timing. We've just arrived at that. To just realize (laughs) that we ought to implement this policy right now after the mayor has already unwelcomed uh, this particular politician, it, it doesn't smell right. Uh, John, I don't think it's going to fly. Yeah, I'm with DJ John. I just if this was President Clinton, if this is President Hillary Clinton coming, I don't know what the figure would be. But let's let's say it's five thirty. Let's say it's two fifty. I'm having a very difficult time believing that Mayor Fry would be insisting right away on cost and having press conference related to the accountability. I concur. And due to some great work from my colleagues in the editorial board, they researched this quite deeply and engaged with the city on this. And DJ is quite right in describing it. I think that going forward, it would be perfectly reasonable and rational and greatly, deeply appreciated by the residents of the city of Minneapolis if there indeed was a bill that was presented. But as we wrote in the editorial this morning, doing it in mid-stride is a bad look for the city of Minneapolis, and it gave President Trump an issue to be able to jump on. And to quickly jump back on the, the comment that uh, DJ was talking about in terms of the union president, you know, it, it may have helped him in terms of his visibility. Um, and certainly, as you mentioned, Chad, it might have been exactly what President Trump wanted to see have happen. But if the objective among many officers is to have more of their brethren in uniform, more uh, police added to the force, which is what the chief has called for, 400 over a number, period, a number of years, and the mayor has called for a small down payment of 14 on those. Having the police union so closely identified 
with President Trump probably won't help in city council chambers. So in terms of the longer-term impact on that incredibly important debate that far transcends what's happening right now, it's not necessarily the smartest move. Joe Biden spoke about an hour ago. He said something his supporters have wanted him to say for weeks. What is it? We'll talk about it in moments. It's 144. That's the Lindis Construction Time Check. Time to call us for a free estimate on Infinity by Marvin Windows. You've had a number of stories the last week or so critical of the Biden campaign, saying that the Biden campaign, and in particular the candidate himself, has not found the right path to respond to the president regarding all the allegations about what he did or didn't do regarding Ukraine and what Hunter Biden did or didn't do. John, finally today, Joe Biden has called for the impeachment of President Trump. What is your read on how Joe Biden has responded as he has faced this scrutiny? And I'm one of them who look back at 88 with plagiarism, look back at 08 when he literally was not a factor at all. And then looked at this one when he had such an enormous leap, which surprised me, by the way, and it's slipped away. And I just don't know how many good moments Joe Biden has really had since he jumped into this race. How has he handled the last three weeks or so? Those three are campaigns that you just described. It's governing that is the biggest challenge in terms of while he was vice president, that his son was indeed on the board of this Ukrainian gas company and that you know may have earned him some short-term riches, but maybe depleted his father's political uh, legacy in, in some ways. I think he's tried to stay out of the limelight and keep the story on President Trump, which I think is a wise strategy because so much emerged. This reignited the entire impeachment inquiry and the debate, which has accelerated at an extraordinary pace at, at this point. He did write an op-ed saying, in effect, directly to President Trump, you're not going to destroy me or my family. He called for impeachment today, which is later than most of the other candidates who will be on the debate stage next week and who are still in the race. But had he been the first to come out for that, that might have become the focus. And at this point, he wants to get out of the way and keep him and his son out of the headlines in some ways. So while he's run an unsteady campaign, that big lead that you just referenced seemed to be seems to be depleted in about three or four national polls that have been taking Senator Warren is either tied or is, is emerged as the front runner at this point. But he still clearly has a good shot at this nomination, and he seems to try, be trying to finesse this point. You know, I think Biden's uh, difficulties of the moment really kind of express the uh, challenging spot that the Democrats have themselves in generally in, in this, in that they've gone far enough down the impeachment road now that they, there's really no going back. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the old story. If you're gonna if you're gonna shoot the king, you know, make sure your aim is true. Don't miss. <laughs> uh, because if they at this point, if they don't at least go through with an impeachment vote and and have the president put on trial, that will be a victory for him. It will strengthen his position, uh, and uh, the, which is the last thing they want, and and undermine undermine their own. On the other hand. Going forward is problematic because there are plenty of Democrats in the House who aren't quite sure they want to take this vote. Yeah. They don't want to take a vote to formally call for the inquiry, and it's clear why, because yeah. Democrats like Angie Craig and Dean Phillips in swing districts yep. aren't quite sure how it's going to play in their district, much less an actual impeachment vote. And then if they once impeach the guy, the whole show goes over to the Senate 
where the Republicans can do whatever they want. Well, on that, John, Lindsey Graham has said today, and I'm going to give you Lindsey Graham on Turkey in moments here, but Lindsey Graham said today, hey, I'm, I want to tell Nancy Pelosi again, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. We're not going to vote to find him guilty. What are you doing? Well, you know, it's more than they're not going to find him guilty. They can decide what evidence they consider relevant. Yeah, right. They can spend 15 minutes on Trump and three weeks on Biden. Yeah. Yeah, because Mitch McConnell Joe Biden on trial. Mitch McConnell has said, yeah, I have no choice, but he gets to run it the way he wants to. I mean, it could be an interesting contrast because you'll have the chief justice and the role he plays. But who knows the way it's going? And John, pick up on the White House, just basically saying again, we're not giving you anything. Right. Sondland can't talk. We're not giving you any documents. We think we got we have the Constitution on our side. So good luck to you. This has just been the White House's pattern ever since the Democrats took control. As the nation saw with Watergate, then itself might become what Congress considers an impeachable offense, the obstruction of justice charge, and that might allow them to expedite it. And it might also get who DJ quite rightly describes as some at least quietly recalcitrant Democrats who are in swing districts who are not quite so sure about this vote to be able to say, well, at minimum, it's quite clear that there is a separation of powers constitutional issue at play here, and the White House and the executive branch won't play ball in that respect, and that in itself is something that we have to contend with for the efficacy of our institutions of this country. And so I think that they probably will advance an eventual impeachment vote. You're quite right. What happens in the Senate from there remains to be seen. But there are some senators who, out of principle or out of political survival, even if they're Republicans, are going to look at this and say, what happened clearly wasn't right. This is the Mitt Romney uh, school of thought here that some yep. are showing you know, some signs of, of picking up on. Perhaps Susan Collins of Maine and Cory Gardner of Colorado, who were in really tough races in states that went for Secretary Clinton the last election and are tending Democratic you may have some Republican votes that could put at least a majority, certainly not the two-thirds needed to remove a president who has been impeached, but you could have 50-51 votes if a few Republicans swing from that perspective, and that would be really difficult for President Trump as he heads into re-election. Let's let's go to a decision he made regarding the Middle East, which has caused uh, a great deal of reaction, uh, bringing back 50 special op troops, protecting the Kurds, against Turkey and the success the Kurds have had in defending themselves and killing numerous members of ISIS. The president is taking great pride in saying he is the president charged with the the end of ISIS. And now you have, if those special op troops leave, you have up to 10,000 ISIS detainees right there. This all comes off a phone call with the president of Turkey, Erdogan. You have airstrikes from Turkey today uh, Lindsey Graham is normally right lock and step with the president, but I'm just going to give you some quotes from uh, Jonathan Swan conversation from Axios with Lindsey Graham talking about the president's decision. This is worse than when Obama left Iraq because you've got so much information on what happens. This would be a game changer in national security. This would pave the way to the reemergence of ISIS. If I hear the president say one more time I made a campaign promise to get out of Syria, I'm going to throw up. Again, this is Lindsey Graham. <laughs> He took an oath of office to protect the nation against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and there's no bigger enemy to our nation than ISIS, and there's no way we can protect the country from radical Islam 
without partners like the Kurds. DJ, is the president going to change his path in any way? I think uh, his best way out would probably be to let uh, Graham uh, lead the charge on imposing the the draconian sanctions that uh, that they've been threatening to pass with a with a veto proof majority. Probably nothing could help the president out of this uh, situation better than something like that than than simply taking the, the decision away from him. He might reverse himself. He's done it in the past on threats to you know abrupt withdrawals and and that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, uh, but honestly, I don't know. This is something that is, uh, you know, has been a, a fixation of his for a long time. Yep. Uh, getting out of there, you know, I have to say of, about Lindsey Graham, who's, who's a complicated character, but he's seen very few wars he didn't want to fight. And uh, correct surprised that right. uh, that uh, Trump hasn't said something like that. He probably will. Yeah. You know, like the rest of the country, our conversation has focused around what's happening here in Minneapolis and Mayor Fry, Ilan Omar, and the impeachment inquiry machinations, but this is the most profound presidential issue that will resonate far beyond this week and far beyond northern Syria and southern Turkey here. This sent a chill throughout all the alliances, which ironically for a president who doesn't want to be entangled in any kind of conflict is the reason and the way and the method and the strategy to keep us out of other hot wars around the world, yep. is to have NATO alliances, Mideast alliances, East Asian alliances, and to send this kind of message for not just a tacit paper alliance, but one that was signed in blood. The Kurds, by every military figure who is quoted on this, have fought extraordinarily valiantly and given extraordinary sacrifice for American objectives, and to walk away from protecting them based on a phone call with the president of Turkey is something that is going to be felt worldwide. But uh, one of the complexities that I haven't, I just haven't seen a lot of discussion of is that Turkey, of course, is a NATO ally. They are. Uh, Who and just happened to buy a Russian missile anti-defense system, so a very it's complicated a, it's a one. It's a peculiar alliance. It, yes. it sort of goes to some of Trump's criticisms of NATO that, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a paper mm-hmm. yep. uh, uh, tiger and, and uh, a bit of a phony arrangement in a lot of ways. And, you know, this is kind of a classic example of that. We're supposed to protect one, as you say, uh, a blood ally from one of our longtime paper allies. And just real interestingly, to go back to some of the comments from Lindsey Graham, he had previously tweeted when this first was announced Sunday night in, into Monday that beyond the draconian sanctions that DJ just referenced, that he would try to move to get Turkey kicked out of NATO. Now, yeah. of course, we haven't seen that kind of extreme threat return in the subsequent 48 hours since the, the passions boiled over on this issue. But this is, could be a moment of rare bipartisan foreign policy consensus in this country in terms of what Turkey has done and how the United States should respond. Now, there have been attacks in Turkey by PKK forces and so on. Uh, could Turkey invoke Article 5, uh, which would obligate us to, to run, come to their defense yeah. against uh, an attacker? Real quick, John. Very good question. I think Article 5 specifically is about a different nation state attacking as opposed to an indigenous whom Turkey considers terrorist group, this yeah. PKK, the Kurdish group. But uh, certainly – But we invoked it after 9-11. That wasn't – Yeah, a, I got to jump into all good questions because we're up against breaking. That's why this is going to play out, and it is really right now the interesting debate within – the Republican Party. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, playing politics with the Star Tribune editorial board every Wednesday at one thirty-five.